Welcome back to Bourbon Barrel Talk. I'm your host, Scott Minton. Today, we are sitting down with Mr. Adam Edwards, the digital brand ambassador with Rabbit Hole Distillery. How you doing today, Adam? Hey, what's going on, y'all? Good, good, good. We're doing great. Also, we have Toby on the panel today. Hey. And Mr. Uh, Ofo fanboy, uh, Josh. What's up? <laughs> so, Adam, tell us a little bit more uh, about how you got here. You know, we're here at Rabbit Hole, and, and if you want to give us a little bit of background on Rabbit Hole and, you know, the company in general. Yeah, of course. So, um, I am from Louisville. So, me, me personally, I, uh, I'm a big bourbon guy, of course, and... Uh, we were just talking about this. I live over there in southern Indiana, just like pretty much you all do, too. And um, I kind of got drugged over there by a girl. <laughs> I met a girl from southern Indiana, and she drugged me over there. The sunny uh, side. Right. <laughs> the sunny side. We get a better view of Louisville, is what I like to tell people. You know, Tom Petty work. wrote a song about that. This is very true. <laughs> it's very true. That's why I moved over there, actually. Um, but I always think that's kind of cool because it sort of parallels Rabbit Hole, too, and the way the Rabbit Hole started. Because Cave, our founder, he was living in Chicago, and he met a girl from Louisville. And I mean, it hesitates. Isn't it funny how that happens all the time? I'll tell you what, it's, it's amazing that, you know, a a story can kind of start that way and end up, I mean, both on my side, you know, I met an amazing woman from, from Louisville and sort of, or or from Southern Indiana. And she kind of showed me that there's some cool stuff in Southern Indiana and Heather showed Cave that there's some cool stuff in Kentucky and Louisville too. So I always thought that was kind of cool. I have that parallel with, with how rabbit hole started. Um, But I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Uh, I was a big wine guy for a real long time but being from louisville of course i'm going to be a bourbon drinker you know Uh, you hear a lot of people have that similarity that they started in the wine industry and then moved over to the bourbon industry how do you think that that has really transitioned you into uh enjoying what you're drinking yeah well it made me such a snob you know uh, <laughs> when you're, all right i wasn't gonna say it no i mean I'm, but i mean serious like when you think about it you know wine is one of those things that always has this very kind of cultured sort of feel to it right and that's i think that's changed i mean it's it's a little more inclusive than it was whatever 20 years ago um bourbon has always been like an every person's drink right it's not a high i'm going to use a very country term highfalutin sort of drink right but it's kind of gotten there it's kind of done the opposite of what wine did right and so i think where that intersection sort of happened is where i realized that i could sort of bring my wine skills over to the bourbon world and you know rabbit hole we look at bourbon the same way you do wine like you know i always use this for an example Let's say you go out to a restaurant and you order a steak. Well, you can get a red wine. It goes with that steak. It's probably going to work, right? Let's say you go out to a really nice restaurant and you order a filet. And after you get the filet, you got a person come up to you and they say, Hey, I'm the sommelier. Um, you ordered the pepper crusted filet. I think you need a Bordeaux or Southern California, you know, Cabernet, Cabernet Franc maybe. It gets a little bit more specific that way. And it's going to go even better with that steak. We think the same way. Why can't you think that way of, of whiskey? So, you know, I always say this. First of all, we're the sponsors, the official sponsors of the James Beard Foundation for a reason. We think about our bourbons and whiskeys from a culinary aspect. Um, you know, we were just doing a little taste through here, right? Cave Hill and High Gold, those are both bourbons. They're like the same ratio of grain, same age, same proof. Completely different. But completely different. And they pair different, too. I do, you know, I think that Cave Hill, that's like the Cabernet. That's the thing that's going to go with like rich, meaty, meaty meals like like pot roast. Whereas High Gold, I do like a chicken chili with High Gold. Wow. Okay. Probably why that Cave Hill tasted really good with the Taco Bell uh, breakfast (laughs) I had. There you go, right? (laughs) Nice enchilada bourbon. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, and so, you know, I think that that 
that kind of ties in with our story. You know, where we started is, you know, Cave was a psychologist who was a scotch drinker. He loved really nice scotch. And then he met a girl from Louisville, Heather, that turned him into a bourbon drinker. And when they moved down here, he kind of took that background of being a scotch and gin guy and applied it to bourbon. And at the same time, you know, he's moving to Louisville that has turned into a culinary destination and Chicago was too. And so that's always going to be in the back of his mind. How does this pair? How does this go with food? How does this go with art? How does this go with music? Like there's so many different avenues that you can take as a bourbon brand that I think not a lot of people did. And, and downtown Louisville here is going to be or is has, has already started to be a a bourbon destination. Exactly. Um, I mean, we're, we're steps from two or three different distilleries. So um, is it something that they feel good about competing against because of the lineup? Is, is there any issues with literally being able to be a, th- a stone's throw from some of the other guys? Definitely not. So I always say this, you compete on the shelves, your products compete, the people don't compete. Um, that's something that Cave has always kind of hammered into me. You know, one thing that Cave says that I love is there's not a lot of guys running around Kentucky named Cave making bourbon. Um, and so <laughs> when he kind of got into this field, he expected that there would be this sort of, oh, who are you? You're an outsider. It was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. He was welcomed with open arms because what's good for the distillery down the street is good for us. What's good for us is good for the distillery down the street, too right? There's not enough bourbon out there. There's more people than there is bourbon, right? And so you're going to do well as long as you keep that idea of inclusion and camaraderie in the industry. Uh, I wish I could ask Cave this. What, what makes a psychologist <laughs> get into bourbon? It's, it's because good, right? they're smart. It's not your normal route. Yeah, but that's just that, that is completely not your normal route. I mean, when you see most people get into bourbon, they're engineers or they're, you know, some chemist. I mean, something that just blows my mind when you said that. I, my mind's still just firing off cylinders here. So, so, Scott, let me ask you what makes a banker enjoy bourbon? I just need to relax. There you go. And maybe that's the same thing. I mean, after listening to somebody's problems and shit all day long, I mean, you're like, man, I, I just need to pour myself. You know, yeah, yeah. it's a little self therapy. Yeah, but I remember a story. I can't remember who, uh, maybe the guy from Jim Beam, no, uh, um, that a local distillery that was like next door to him. I can't remember what, which distillers it was. One of them burnt down. Mm-hmm. And instead of just saying, ha ha, we don't have to compete against with you anymore. Um, he actually, uh, gave him barrels. So you're, you're definitely talking about the heaven Hill fire. I think that was okay. 1988. Um, heaven Hill, it was, it was a huge catastrophe for them. I mean, the Creek behind heaven Hill was on fire. That's how much bourbon, you know, and, and product went into out of the barrels. It was on fire. And the industry sort of rallied. And it wasn't just one other distillery. It was all the other major distilleries giving them barrels, giving them yeast, giving them product, um, storing their barrels, from, you know, things like that. So they could get on their feet. Without that, Heaven Hill wouldn't exist anymore. Sure. And so that's the sort of thing that Cave, I think, experienced when he started messing around with the idea of opening a bourbon distillery is that he had people like we already talked about, you know, earlier before the podcast started, Larry Ebersold. Larry Ebersold really helped Cave out. Jimmy Russell really helped Cave out. Um, you know, Julian Van Winkle helped Cave out. Like all these people, these these major industry leaders really helped Cave out with the logistics of how do you open a bourbon distillery and giving them feedback on his products. Right. I just really hope that that's the future of bourbon. I hope that that that, that doesn't ever go away because I know that that was an old school type of mentality, and today people are less and less like that. So I hope that that continues. So. 
20 uh, or 200 years from now, we're talking about the same type of uh, situation. I think you say people are less and less like that. I, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to tell you. I, <laughs> from my experience, people are more like that today. I mean, I think that, you know, there's always going to be some sort of thing happening if it's an election year or, you know, you've got a pandemic going. There's always something that people are going to be divided about over. Bourbon will never be one of those things. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Adam, on that Bourbon situation. Will never be one of those things. So walking through, you know, your old's I guess flight of different mm-hmm. bourbons and things like that. Your mash bills appear to have something that offers something to all bourbon lovers, whether it be finished products, high rye, four grain. You know, I, I even tried the gin today, and and I tell people all the time I hate gin. And I didn't hate it. It was still not it, something I would pour on a daily basis, but it was. It's still something that's out there, right? And I it, thought it, it was really good. And it's a different, and that's fine. Like I said, I don't <laughs> like gin. Like if I like gin, I would probably be like, "That's great," because I can get the rye. I get some of those finished notes off it. I cannot stand juniper. Like I, I feel like I'm just licking a Christmas tree, and I just don't like it. I mean, it's just, it's I'm going to find a way for Adam to let me walk out of here with a bottle of gin today. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> hey, we might be able to make that happen. There so we if, go. So if you don't mind, can you can you walk us through of your product course. line? You know, um, and we can start with Cave Hill because that's kind of the way we started when we drank these and then walk right through that and just give us a little bit of insight of uh, why it was done that way and and, uh, and from a uh, I guess a culinary aspect heck tell us that you know what, what would you pair that, that that with so that way our, our listeners can get a little bit of better or cigars taco, or cigars yeah, taco, taco Bell and Taco all, Bell right, so, and number four so, uh. so Cave Hill is um, you know it's a 70-10-10-10 um, so it's 70% corn 10% malted wheat uh, 10% honey bar- malted barley and then regular malted mm-hmm. barley. So uh, give us a little bit of rundown on that. So that is the original mash bill. That is the first bourbon. And this one really kind of, I, I like this order because it also tells the story of Rabbit Hole too. And Cave Hill, that's the one that, you know, Cave started with. He was a scotch drinker living in Chicago. Like I said, met a girl from Louisville. She turned him into a bourbon drinker. And when they moved down here to Louisville, First of all, they opened a practice together, right? He was a psychologist. He started reading. And you were kind of asking what made a psychologist start making bourbon. Well, he's sort of an intellectual guy. He likes to read. He likes history. And he started reading about bourbon and bourbon history. And what he realized is that before Prohibition, there were something like 500 distilleries in Kentucky. After Prohibition, that number fell to 13. And in fact, today, there's like 60. I think not even close to pre-Prohibition levels. So he really started looking at some of those older mash bills that people didn't, don't use anymore. And the reason that people don't use this a whole lot anymore, like four grains and lots of malt, is because when all of those smaller, smaller distilleries sort of folded, the bigger distilleries bought up all their stocks, you know, conglomerated them, right? And they sold it all off. But it doesn't make financial sense to sit there and make 100 different mash bills. That doesn't make sense. So, of course, everything went to, you know, weeders or rye bourbons. That wasn't good enough for Kave. He said, that's white noise. Why am I going to make a bourbon that is going to sit on the shelf and just be the same as everybody else? He could have very easily sourced a bunch of barrels that were high rye, put a label on there, sold it for $2 million and walked away. There's no legacy in that and there's no fun in that either, right? So he wanted to make something that was different but was also traditional. So he started looking at some of these older mash bills that were out there and noticed there was a lot of malt out there coming from his background as a scotch drinker that made sense to him so he really looked for something that was you know going to be different but also balanced and so when you start talking about adding the malted wheat in there that's for texture you start talking about the malted barley and the honey malted barley that's the secondary flavoring grain and so for for me like the cave hill that shows that off and it really celebrates those grains it doesn't 
really hit you the way you expect it to. You know, I think we were talking about this before, right? That you see that mash bill and you think, well, it's going to be very soft. It's it's not going to have a lot of spice. It's soft and it's supple because we don't chill filter, so it's always going to have that kind of deep texture to it. But the flavor on this is very spicy because of those barrels that we're using. Those Kelvin barrels, they're toasted and charred on every single one of these products. They, they increase the amount of barrel spice that you get. And then that honey malt helps finish it sweet. So it's all about balance with these products. So one of the things that I see a lot of people do with the exact same mash bill is they may have two different brands, but the only real difference between the brands is maybe where they store them and how much they age them. So would that be something that could be the future? Say this, the Cave Hill, well, all of a sudden they, they come up with a Cave Hill eight year that, that may be aged a couple more years that, that will definitely give it a different flavor, but it's the same mash bill. It's the same, just depending on how long you can keep it in the It's in the very possible. You know, we don't ever slap, you know, an age statement or something on a bottle or, or say that it's, it's going to be this amount. Like we, we, we put the, the minimum age on our bottles, of course. But we also put everything else on there, the mash bills, all that, because, you know, kind of what you were just talking about there, you know, it, someone, a distiller is going to take the same mash bill and they're going to age it different or put it in different warehouses or put different proofs on it and call it different names. That was something I think that really drove Kaveh crazy when he first got into this industry and started thinking about this You walk into a liquor store and you see 30 bottles of bourbon on the shelf. There's like four people making everything, but they all have different names. You can't tell where anything's from. The mash bills aren't on the label. He never wanted to do that. He never wanted to do that. And so Cave Hill is Cave Hill, right? Now, now it's not to say that maybe at some point we're going to release an older product that may be the same mash bill Cave Hill. I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe Cave Hill, once it gets past four years, isn't as good as it is, you know, at four years and under. So maybe it'll always be that. We just don't know until we do it. But I can tell you that if we ever do that, we're going to say it on the bottle. You're going to know exactly what it is. You're going to know what that mash bill is. You're going to know what the age is. Because we don't want anybody to ever feel like they're drinking something that they don't know where it came from and they don't know what's in the bottle. That, so. that brings me back to the interview that we did with, um, what was the folks from uh, uh, Single Cast Nation? Okay. Where basically they sourced everything. And, but everything on their bottle, they, they tell you exactly where it's coming from. They're, they're not going to hide the fact that they get it from MGP or unless whatever. Unless they're not allowed to. Yeah, well, unless, yeah. Well, <clears throat> there's transparency there, right? Like, if it says, you know, Tuloma, Tennessee, I mean, you, you know it's Dickel, right? I mean, so, I mean, I, I think that there's transparency there. They don't actually always put exactly what it was. Like, they just released that 24-year-old, you know, pre-fire bottle. You, you know where it came from, Man, right? that was expensive. Yeah, so I can imagine. <laughs> so dive back into Cavehill now. I, when I look at this, it, it's an untraditional four grain. You know, typically a four grain in that situation would be you know corn, wheat, rye, malted barley. Do you know why you know Cave you know picked the four that he did? Did I mean was that a recipe from X Y Z Distillery back in eighteen forty six? I mean, as far as I know, this is something that he came up with with help. I mean, you know, talking to industry leaders as well, like. You know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? But this is really something that came from Kaveh. This is that legacy, that Zamanian legacy, right? And the big thing about this is kind of what I was just talking about, you know, white noise. He could have made a four grain that was already rye and, and wheat, but I mean, that kind of exists out there already. Why do it? Other people are already doing that. You know, we walked through the distillery earlier. We passed by that sensory lab that had a bunch of other bottles in there. 
that's the reason we have other people's bottles in there because we want to know what's on the market. What's the point of spending all this time to talk about this, to talk about that, and then do the same thing that someone else is doing? There's no reason to do it. So, Scott, if I would have actually read the mash bill when I picked up a bottle of Cave Hill at, I think it was Total Wine a couple weeks ago, I probably wouldn't have picked it up. I picked it up just because I knew we were going to sit down. I wanted to try it and think about it before, and I never got around to it because there were enough open (laughs) bottles at the house. And because it had wheat in it, I typically would have avoided it as a four grain, but it does not drink like it has wheat in it. That wheat is doing something different in this. And of everything, of the two bourbons, I won't say everything, of the two bourbons we've drank today, the Cave Hill was my favorite. And for our listeners that know that I'm a a high corn, no wheat, and rye kind of guy, they would have said Josh would like the high gold. And as we talk about that, you'll probably hear a little different. So... We'll dive into that now. We'll go into the high gold. Tell us a little bit more about that. That one's the seventy twenty five five. So uh, let, 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 let's drive in there, and um, you know maybe we, maybe even as we try this a second time to go over maybe a couple of tasting notes that you get from it, and then um, what would you pair it with? Yeah. So you know it's you know kind of we were saying before you, know, you think about this culinarily the the high gold is a completely different animal. It's a different. It's like having two red wines, completely different varietals, right? And high gold with that twenty five percent malted rye. First of all, it's German. That malted rye, that is a German grain that we're using. And that really talks about the name of this. This is named after Christian Heigold, who is a German stone cutter that lived in Louisville. Um, anybody listening to this podcast that lives in the area, you probably know about Heigold House. He really, you know, he came to Louisville at a time when there was this party called the Know Nothings that were in power. They controlled the paper. They were very anti-immigrant. Even though he was up against that, he really embraced that idea of immigrant patriotism. High Gold House, he carved you know the bust of James Buchanan on there, uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, very American scenes on there because he loved America. And I think that really resonated with Cave. Cave, whose family is an immigrant family as well, he is doing arguably one of the most American things you can possibly do, other than like eating apple pie and playing jazz. He's making bourbon. It's a very American thing to do. And so he wanted to name a bottle after Christian. Because we're using that malted rye, it's different than any other high rye out there. You think high rye bourbon, you think immediately spice, uh, black pepper, um, dill, you know, those sort of rye notes. This really doesn't have that. This drinks, I mean, the nose on it, super soft, very, very sweet, a little bit of orange peel, whereas Cave Hill's like the green apple and the baking spices and vanilla. This is like caramel um, you know, green uh, uh, orange peel, maybe a little more citrus in there. The finish on this is different than Cave Hill, though. Whereas Cave Hill starts spicy and ends sweet, High Gold really, for me, starts sweet and ends spicy. And the spice, instead of being like kind of general baking spices that you get in Cave Hill, High Gold is definitely cinnamon to me. It has a great cinnamon finish on there. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from on, on those tasting notes for sure. The cinnamon is the only thing that I did miss. Like, I did not grab that, but I did get a little bit of spice at the back end, but I didn't. it, it didn't resonate as cinnamon as far as that goes. So both of the, the bourbons, the whiskeys we've had today are 95 proof. What's the background to why they were proofed down to 95? Well, once again, white noise. There's a bunch of 90 proof bottles out there, and there's a bunch of 100 proof bottles out there. 
Cave wanted to create something that is very easy to drink neat. So a lot of times you get a 90 proof bourbon. That's great to drink neat because it's just 90 proof. But it's hard to make a cocktail with that because cocktails do better with 100 proof bottles, right? Because they kind of stand up to all those cocktail ingredients. So he felt like doing something that's 95 proof sort of splits that difference. You can enjoy any of these neat, but you can also make a really great cocktail with this. And, you know, we were kind of talking about pairing Usually, let's talk about like, you know, old fashions, right? Usually when you make an old fashioned, use rye whiskey because rye whiskey is a little spicier. It stands up with those sweeter ingredients in that cocktail. You don't use, and we'll get to it in a minute, but we don't use a boxer grill when we make old fashions up here. We're not going to use high gold either because they're not spicy enough. We use Cave Hill, which has no rye in it to make an old fashioned. Now, Manhattan, high gold, definitely, or a Sazerac. A Sazerac is really great with um, high gold because high gold has like those citrusy sort of elements. Think about a Sazerac always has those citrusy elements too. They kind of pair really well. So last night, and we're getting ready to get into boxer grail here in just a minute. I dropped one of the Luxardo cherries and a little bit of that sugary cherry sauce in there. It was phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. Those Luxardos are nice. (laughs) Those are nice. Man, I, I told my wife I was going to order one of the big giant cans off Amazon, but I just don't know how I'm going to store them long term. <laughs> right. Like a big fat couple of like Did ball it. mason jars or something to fill that bad boy up. So got to find out if they have a shelf life. I just get the two jar pack from Amazon. Yeah. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about the Boxer Grill now. Now anybody that knows me knows that I love the old MGP history, the '95-5 Larry Abersold, that type of thing. And whenever I saw this and i saw the mash bill i was like dude i'm I, this is going to be thunder right like it's but it's a totally different taste than the typical 95.5 i'm almost curious if the yeast strand is that much different but uh, I, it's totally different notes like i almost got like almost like a nutty flavor on this rye which typically is uncommon for a rye so give us a little bit more detail on the boxer grill and let people know what you know what they're looking for well you know 95.5 that's the, that's the rye mash bill to use, right? That's the most celebrated rye mash bill out there because um, you're highlighting the rye. Now, the rye grain itself is Canadian rye. This isn't the same rye that we're using in high, in high gold, right? High gold's using a German rye. We wanted to use Canadian rye with this because that's a little bit more in line with the 95.5 rye. Um, on top of that, now the yeast, I will tell you, I'm not, our yeast, we, we don't really focus on our yeast because we're not using a yeast that imparts a ton of crazy flavors because we really focus on the grains and the barrels. I think once you start adding yeast in there that has a whole lot of crazy flavors, it's like, you know, cooking a meal, you're using way too many ingredients for it. You don't need to get that crazy with it. You start adding so much, it takes away from the final product. So the yeast, I don't think is really going to be um, what's delivering nutty notes on this. I think there's some floral notes. This is a very floral rye, and the yeast is definitely doing that. But I think it's the barrels that really set us apart from your normal you know, LDI or MGP 95.5. MGP is not using toasted and charred barrels, as far as I know. Um, those toasted and charred barrels, they kind of, I think they really tame down this rye a little bit. This rye does not have the huge amount of black pepper and, and mint and dill on it that a normal 95.5 rye would because of those toasted charred barrels. Those barrels kind of lend a little bit more sweetness to this, which is why the nose on Boxer Grail is just like Werther's Original to me. I do get mint on this and a little bit of um, maybe a little bit of orange peel. But the big note for me in Boxer Grail, which I love, and, and when we get to the end of this tasting, we'll do the, the full strength version of it. We'll get to the founders. But the black tea 
like that sort of tea element on boxer grill is huge for me and i think that is the really big identifier of the 95.5 yeah that's what i was you know whenever i i sat back and i sipped it like i was like you do get like some of those tea notes and i was almost even like almost like an earl gray almost like an english tea absolutely Um, so, but um, yeah, I, I get a hundred percent where you're coming from, but it but it is totally different than any of the other ninety five five rise that I've that I've drank, um, and it might be because most of the stuff that I get is at barrel strength, and mm-hmm. we're gonna find out here in a few minutes. <laughs> it looks like so. Um, like I said, not a not a huge gin drinker, that type of thing. You want to give us a little bit more detail on the bes- bespoke gin here, and um, you know what makes it unique um, outside of the fact that it's uh, being finished in a rye barrel. Well, there's a lot of uniqueness here, right? Um, so first of all, a lot of people, when they start a bourbon distillery, they don't start making bourbon right away. They make gin and vodka because they can age their bourbon, and they're still able to sell gin and vodka right away. keeps their capital up. Cave didn't start a gin distillery. Cave started a bourbon distillery. And so he said, I was going to make bourbon first. And I always, always loved that. But I did ask Cave when we released um, our, our barrel-finished gin, which is bespoke gin now. It used to just be called you know barrel-finished gin. Um, I asked him, I said, why do we do gin? And he goes, because I like gin. I was like, that's a really great answer. I like that answer a lot, Cafe. And I, you know, I, I tell you, I'm kind of the same as you. I've never been a gin drinker, but this is a gin for non-gin drinkers. This one, the, the finishing in the boxer grill barrel for like six to eight months, somewhere around there, really sweetens it up. The juniper is still there, but it's not as strong as it normally would be. And I think when you said Earl Grey tea a few minutes ago, I get Earl Grey tea and limoncello on this gin like crazy, like yeah, crazy. That and lemon for sure. It's not one of those ones that when you think of gin, you think you're going to mix it with something. You can drink this neat. Yeah, you can drink it neat. But I, I'll be honest with you, though. I mean, the the cocktails that I actually use, you know, gin for, I mean, and and, and I'm a traditionalist. I mean, the only gin I keep in my house is Beef Eater. I mean, it's the only one I've ever had, you know, uh, that I use for mixing cocktails. Is this would that, be something I would bring in for that. Is that the traditional thing, beef eater? Because I mean, I'm it's not, just, it's old like, grandpa, it's grandpa gin, beef. man. It's a grandpa gin. <laughs> I'm not experienced enough in gin to know if that's the... You're the, experienced enough in eating beef, though, aren't you? Yes. I mean, everybody loves a good steak. I hear you. I hear you. So, <laughs> the, other, the other distillery that I think we've been at where we sampled gin was Starlight. Was Huber Starlight? Yep, and they got us some right out of the—I don't know what piece of it. I mean, it was literally right out of the the still. I right mean, out was, of the it still. It was chilling. Put it in a, a Glen Cairn, handed it to us, and that's when I when I nosed this bespoke gin. I mean, boom! It, it's juniper all over it. But now that I've come back to this here, you know, a half hour later, I get that lemon, that citrus smell to it. Yeah, and I, I really agree. want to drink some of this. It's getting me in the mood for the holidays. Not that uh, you know, here we are in the middle of November, and I've already had inflatable Santas and other things up outside my house <laughs> just because COVID year. I don't know. We've got like ten inflatables up outside of the house <laughs> to annoy the neighbors right now. But this will help me really get in the holiday season. No, I, I don't disagree. Like I said. I, it's one of the few gins that I've drank, you know, outside of, you know, Beef Eater that I was just like, eh. I this can't. was actually, so I think it was Forbes magazine. They named this the best gin to drink neat in America in like 2018, which, let's face it, that's a really strange award. But are they wrong? No. That's really easy to, I mean, that's a cocktail in a bottle almost. Now, no. I will tell you, my wife does something really great with it. She takes club soda and mixes it. So it's just this with club soda with an orange slice. 
that's crazy. We call it a rabbit, Ricky, because it's like a Gen Ricky, but you know, rabbit. <laughs> so, that's super good. So I would like to smoke it and then throw it in um, almost like a LIT and eliminate the vodka to yeah. d- bring out some more of those uh, caramely and then a little bit more of that, that well, citrus. Last note. time I drank an LIT, I was in college, and that's a no-go. <laughs> uh, I still like a good LIT every now and then. <laughs> that's a no-go. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit. Let's get back to bourbon or, or, or bourbon finishes. Oh, man, I love what you're about to talk about, and the nose on it just knocked me out. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about the Derringer. And then I missed, I guess I might have misheard you. Could you tell us a little bit more about where you're getting your sherry cast from and, and, and then the aging process through that? Absolutely. So um, Derringer is a weeded bourbon. So this is 68% corn, 18% wheat, 14% malted barley. Which is also unconventional. Very unconventional. Absolutely. I'm going to have to talk to Kave one day. I'm like, Kave, dude, what are you doing? You're doing a bunch of unconventional really shit crazy in the bourbon industry. Bills, right? I mean, that's the thing. Is why, dude, why I, I love the it. same thing. Right? I love the fact that he's, he's the outside thing? the box, right? Yeah, you got to keep doing things different because people get bored. People I mean, get bored very easy. Look here in the room we're in. Everything is very unconventional. We'll have to post some pictures. The artwork is unique. Yes. Uh, it has its own... Its own sense of place, we'll call it. Yep. Well, we're going we're to call that legacy, right? I yep. mean, you can't make legacy if you're doing the same thing that everyone no, else it, is it, doing. And right? I love the fact that, you know, Kaveh, and I don't know if it was um, the, the, the lady friend in his life that kind of distinguished this, but, I mean, I love the fact that he's bringing, you know, bourbon history and the history of women in bourbon and Absolutely. how that kind of came in. And uh, even, you know, people of color that are women, you know, I mean, it just... I love the fact that he's able to touch that history and bring it into what he's doing today. I think it's important. Absolutely. I think it's very important. Yeah. It's huge. And, and really, the Derringer, this is the homage to Heather. So this bottle, first of all, when you, you look at the spelling, it's Dare Ringer. I mean, we, we, we call it Derringer, but it's spelled Dare Ringer. The reason is, is because, you know, first of all, Heather dared Kave to open a bourbon distillery. In fact, you know, she said, your, your, your bourbon obsession is going to lead this family down a rabbit hole and that's where the name came from and she's been his ringer she has been his guiding star she's the kentucky influence and so sure you know cave and the family i mean that is who's running the distillery but if it wasn't for heather we wouldn't be here and so he wanted to pay homage to that journey so like i said earlier he was a scotch drinker right she turned him into a bourbon drinker he really loved sherry finished scotches especially Pedro Jimenez Sherry Finish, or PX Sherry Finish Scotches. He said, why can't you do that to American whiskey? So we found a weeded bourbon, and we put it in sherry casks, you get Derringer. Um, the sherry casks themselves, those are coming from Casnolia in uh, Mantilla, Spain. Um, we like to call it three families, two continents. So you got the, the, der- the, the sherry casks, then you got the bourbon that's being you know made by the Zemanian family, and then finished in Kelvin barrels. It's all three family-owned uh, companies right there two different continents this sits after it ages so the the bourbon itself i think is aged in like five to seven years somewhere around there um it is finished in the sherry casks for six months sometimes as little as three sometimes as much as nine we taste everything like i said earlier it's a terrible job uh but we taste everything and we do everything really small batch because we want to make sure that we're being consistent and that we're not just throwing things into a sherry cask being like oh it's been six months put it in the the, the bottle it may be over sherry maybe under sherry it's all about balance and so I like what you were saying, the nose on this. This is my desert island smelling whiskey. I could smell this bourbon for the rest of my life and be a happy guy. Um, the nose is unbelievable on it's, this. It's a Werther's Original Butterscotch Punch in the Nose. Mm-hmm. 
and it is just darn good. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it and overrides what? that uh, that sherry smell. Like because yeah. sometimes you know when you get a smell of sherry, you know that sherry finish or that sherry. But this doesn't. I mean, it, it is. It's straight up Wardler's original. I mean, I, I yeah. totally agree. To get back to your what, what you were talking about, where he uh, she dared him to start a distillery. One of the things that I don't think we've ever really talked about, but I, I think it's a true statement that once COVID hit, um, our podcast was really took a nosedive because people typically listen to in the car. That's where they listen to podcasts, um, and I, I don't know that without the interview with Marianne Eves, who is one of the, the biggest names, female uh, in bourbon today, um, that interview shot us back up to where we were. Marianne's awesome. Uh, Marianne and I, we grew up in the same place. So I think we went to the same high school. Um, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. I, lo- I love what she's doing right now. She's that, got a phenomenal uh, palate. Yeah. But I, I, we, we argue about this all the time. I think women just have better tasters than men anyway. I mean, I just... Everybody that I run into, I mean, Jackie's eye can. Some of the stuff she's picking out of, you know, Old Forester right now is just amazing. Um, and then Marianne. I mean, there's other legacies that are out there, but I the, the just, I just feel like they just, they just bring out. I'm like, man, where do you get that? And then I drink it, and then I drink it again, and I'm like, I do kind of get that, you know. But I like, I, I don't taste it up front like some people do. But it's, it's it, like a hobbyist. Don't you get like really pissed sometimes when? Like you meet somebody that has just an insane palate, and you're like, I just will never get there. Yeah. Like we, you know, we don't have a master distiller at Rabbit Hole. That's not how we operate. But we've got a head of operations named Cameron Talley, who was um, was Brown Foreman, uh, Brown Foreman, and with Wild Turkey for a long time. And uh, there was one time that we were nosing something. It was it was another product. I can't remember what it was, but it was like an unaged product. And we were like, there's a really weird note. It was like three or four of us sitting there, and we're, we're nosing it. And we're like, there's something weird. It's it's very earthy, I think. Or we couldn't nail it. And Cameron just walked in the room and picked it up. And he goes, oh, it's like Campbell's tomato soup. Not tomato soup. Specifically, Campbell's tomato soup. And we were all like, well, God, you're exactly right. Like, it's insane. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, I will never. Like, I've got a pretty good palate. I'll never get to that level. Some people, they just have it. Yeah. They just have it. And that's the thing. I mean, and I, I, and like I've always said, I always just feel like women just, I think they got better sniffers than we do. Like maybe their sense of smell, like, like I'm cooking something and my wife's like, what did you just blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what the hell? How did you know I just poured cumin out <laughs> no, of the cabinet? No, no, you know? You're sitting on the couch and you let one rip and she's like, did you just pass gas? <laughs> no, no, that was not me. That was the dog. Blame it on the dog. My farts don't stink. <laughs> but out of everything that we've tried so far, so, uh, the by far the derringer for me is the one that i would go to the store and buy and and have no problems keeping on my shelf consistently yeah i'm 100 percent agreeing so i that's the reason i'm really excited about this next one we're about to try and we're going to let uh, adam you know talk a little bit more about this boxer grail founders collection before you do that so the derringer small batch um if somebody maybe had had one two years ago and maybe didn't like it it was different come back to it try it try it differently i mean that's that's kind of where i was is that was the first rabbit hole i tried and i didn't it wasn't my my jam but now that i've come back to it and i've smelled it i've nosed it and i've tried it differently it's pretty good kind of makes you wonder did it change did you change I probably changed. We've changed him drastically <laughs> over the last year. I'm not going to lie. You never know, though. I mean, I'm serious. So, I mean, really, this hasn't changed too much. I think maybe the age on has changed a little bit. But I will tell you, like, to be completely transparent with you, I know there was a time a couple years ago when we put out some bottles in the gift shop that were very dark. 
And I remember we put them up and I was looking at them. I was like, these are really dark. And Cameron Tally came in. We popped one open. He goes, ooh, this is way oversharied. It's way oversharied. We pulled all those bottles and we replaced them. And so you never know. Maybe I don't think we had distributed any of them, but maybe one made it out and you picked it up and it was too much sherry. Uh, and so that's the thing about doing small batches is that every bottle you're going to get is a little bit different. Scott's, Scott's right. They've changed me. Uh, I was texting with a group, Scott and Matt, last night, I think. I don't, there may have been others on, uh, but I was drinking something in the low 90s, and I texted them. I said, guys, this just tastes like it's lacking flavor. I said, I'm going to kick your all's asses if I have to drink everything that's 110 proof or higher <laughs> now. Because uh, a year ago, you know, I was very much that 80 to 95, 80 to 96, the occasional 100 proofer. <laughs> and now they've got me drinking, you know, old Forester barrel strength. Uh, 130, 131 proof Hazmat. whiskey. Hazmat. No, no, no. They've, they've, we slipped, we, we a, few slipped has- a few hazmats in on him. It just did not go over well. I'm trying. I'm trying to get him up there. Hazmat is not for me. I mean, but one, one of my favorite hazmat bottles of all time is the 15-year Heaven Hill from mm-hmm. you know a few years ago, that green label. Oh, yeah. my God. That is a fantastic bottle, but I don't I th- know. I think my first high proof that I actually drank and enjoyed – was about a year ago coming up with the talking turkey episode scott came over to the house and i think that's the day we opened up the george t stag yeah 2018 that i had at the house so yeah and that was only like 130 so it wasn't even that oh, crazy. is that all <laughs> it was only 130 but <laughs> you know a year ago when when the highest proof i was drinking was russell's reserve the 110 <laughs> proof yeah. it was a big jump yeah. so one of the things that i've noticed is you have you, you got four bottles here of bourbon before of course the the founders collection um one of the standards that i know a lot of folks have in a lot of different distilleries is to be bottle and bond that's 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 their goal standard um that's not present here at all is is that just something that he wants to do something a little different he, he doesn't feel like that that's the the standard that he needs to focus on so bottled and bond is interesting right so there's a lot of history there um, to be bottled in bond, it's got to be what 100 proof. It's got to be done in a bonded space. It's got to come from one growing season, all the grain. Um, pretty much all bourbon hits that mark nowadays, except for the 100 proof, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're in a bonded space right now. Like right now at this moment, we're in a bonded space. All warehouses are bonded spaces, right? And so you don't really have to hit that. I think that that's become more of a thing that people want to put on the label because it's become desirable. Now, that's not to say that maybe we're not going to do a bottled and bond at some point. Maybe we will. There's some great examples of bottled and bond out there. But I don't think it's something that we're really worrying about right now because 95 proof for our you know main three here for, for Cave Hill and High Gold and, and uh, Boxer Grail, it's kind of perfect really it's kind of perfect for those and so we'll see i mean like i said we're open to everything we're open to everything we're experimenting with a million things. i mean we've got you know probably another four or five mash bills that we're messing with right now um that may come out may not maybe they're gonna be terrible maybe they're gonna be amazing but um i think it's just the ac kick it on uh, you'll get some yeah you'll get some really uh, powerful mics um but you never know you, you know we may maybe there will be a rabbit hole bottle to bond i don't know um, but just you know, let's let's be honest. Right now, the real hotness among the bourbon the bourbon snobs is barrel proof, cask strength, something that's going to knock you on your rear I end. I thought you were going to say mellow corn, but oh, you know, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> single barrel too. I mean, yeah. you know, single barrel programs. Let's dive a little bit more into that. You know, mm-hmm. you said next year you're going to open that up. We are. 
Um, but you oh, don't come think on, they'll Scott, be. You're getting off track here, and I was really wanting to drink the Founders. <laughs> so right, let's get back, let's to, get that back to the Founders minute. real quick, <laughs> and then we'll talk about single barrel and the single yeah. barrel program. So Boxer Grill, Founders Collection. Um, it looks like this one's coming in around 115.6. So it's 114.6. Oh, my math's bad. Yeah, yeah, 114.6. So This is uh, Rabbit Hole's very first limited bottle. Um, these were some of the first barrels that we laid down, and these were the best of those barrels. So this only came from seven total barrels. Uh, the total bottle count on this is 1,315. Um, this is 95.5, just like Boxer Grail. Um, it is the cast rink version, and it is... Phenomenal. In one word, it's phenomenal. I mean, let's be honest. So, all during COVID this year, everybody went to email releases, mm-hmm. and I got this email from Rabbit Hole that said, "Hey, you're one of the first 100 <laughs> to get a bottle." And yep. I was like, "Damn straight, I won something. <laughs> Screw that pappy raffle crap." <laughs> this one, I will tell you, this has been on a few people's lists for whiskey of the year, um, and they're not wrong in that. This is. It's, I'm a rye guy. We were talking about this earlier in the elevator. I'm a rye guy, and this is one of the best ryes I, I've ever personally had. Um, this one really is all about the family, right? So this is the Zamanian family selecting these barrels, blending these barrels together, and coming up with something really, really amazing. Um, we kind of talked about some of the notes on Boxer Grail. This is all that like on steroids, right? This is black tea. And, and leather and cherries and butterscotch and caramel um, just for days. The finish on this is crazy, but I will tell you my favorite thing about this is the texture. It is creamy, which you don't hear a lot of times when you're talking about rye. It is oily and creamy. Yeah, it's got a ton of oil to it. I mean, it really hangs to the glass. I mean, I'm, I'm rolling it now right now. Um, now also, the nose is just really... It's, oh, yeah. it's it's spicy, but s- like a subtle, like soft spice. Like it's not even like your typical high rise in that situation. So I think that really benefits from the low barrel entry. That one ten, you know, we're putting this in the barrel at one ten. Right. You get less bourbon when you do that. You know, you get less whiskey, so you kind of don't make as much money, I guess. But you don't have to put as much water in it when you bring it down to barrel uh, to bottle strength. With this one, it's coming out of the barrel only a couple points higher what we put it in, right? We put it in at 110, comes out at 114. I mean, some of the barrels varied there, but the total batching of the seven barrels together comes out to 114.6, and you can tell that in this bottle. It is just soft and creamy. The finish is unbelievable. That shocks the palate from going from that 95 to that, though. Yeah, so right. Let me, let me go back in there. 93, I mean, yeah. From a 93, yeah, I, yeah, 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 the Darren. So when was, when was this released? Um, like about six three weeks, weeks ago, ago like, yeah. Okay. So um, we did that that early release at the distillery for we had ninety nine bottles total that we did a pre release at the distillery, and that started winter, winter chicken the, dinner. <laughs> it started like the last week of September, um, and then we released this nationally uh, mid October or so. So it's already. In fact, I think I saw it on Caskers the other day, and. I'm, I, I told you this. I don't think people believe me. I am not allowed to have a bottle. I'm not allowed to even buy a bottle of this. No one at the distillery is allowed to buy a bottle. Um, they gave me a little 50 ml that I nursed forever, and then I finally um, convinced them to you know, give me a bottle. So when I have podcasts and YouTube channels that I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of, I have a bottle that I can pour for them. Um, I, I, I like guard this bottle with my life. I saw it on Caskers the other day, like the day they released it on Caskers. And, like, I knew how much Caskers had, and it was not a whole lot. I almost bought a bottle. <laughs> if Kavi's listening, this probably get really mad. But I just, like, I almost bought a bottle on Caskers, and I was like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. And Man, that's really unique. <laughs> 
So, Scott, looking at the Glen Cairn that we're drinking out of and this thing just hanging on the wall, would you use your favorite word here that it's viscousy? <laughs> it is very, very viscous for sure. It does have some, some viscosity to it. <laughs> Actually, it is really good. I haven't opened mine. I told you that. I, I haven't opened it, but I'd really uh, – I know we tried the Boxer Grail, but our palates have probably been tongue-punched today with everything else we've got. So when I get home, I want to try – not today, probably – the Boxer Grail, just the 95 proof versus this to see how they stand side by side. Yeah, I think you'll be really surprised at, at the difference in flavor, even though they're the same product that proof change kind of what you know you were asking before like is it a different product with a different proof i mean it really does become a different product it really does and and this is the reason why i tell people barrel strength is where to go because <laughs> you can do what you want to do with it right like if you want to put a little water in it put a little water in it. if you want to put an ice cube in it put an ice cube in it but this by itself is just so clean and i mean it's just got such a great finish on it um it's it's it gives you that I call it a Kentucky hug. It goes just just a little below the throat and gives you a little right at the top of the chest, and mm, it's tasty. I just noticed that the, the pour on this was a little bit lighter than the rest of them. Man, I'm really trying to hang <laughs> on to this bottle. Say, he is guarding this bottle, man. We're gonna have to, we're really hanging on to it. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to instant message Cave on LinkedIn and be like, hey, dude, you, you need to hook Adam up with another bottle here somehow, man. I'm in. <laughs> Well, so I interrupted Scott here because I was really interested in going ahead and getting to the Founders Collection. But he wanted to talk about, I think, what's next and single barrel programs. Yeah, so stuff. yeah, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what's in the future as far as the single barrel program. I know you said next year it is pretty much pretty much booked up. You've got uh, some. Maybe. I don't, I, honestly, I don't even know. When it comes to the single barrel program, um, I know it's incredibly limited for this first year. I mean, there's very few barrels that we actually have. Um, but what's really cool, I think Kaveh kind of let the cat out of the bag on one of his uh, his Instagram lives, the Kaveh Bourbon Bunkers that he does uh, every Saturday, I think at 3.30. Um, a couple weeks ago, he had Michael on. So Michael Matomedy was the second hire for Rabbit Hole. He's the chief marketing officer. And, um, you know, they talked about this single barrel program that they're starting. And what's going to be really cool about this is that not only are you picking a single barrel, of rabbit hole but we're going to have an artist on hand that is going to design the label with you so they'll hang out with you with your group kind of get an idea of who you are and then they're gonna design that label and as you all were kind of talking about there's a lot of art in this distillery that's because art is for us tied to creativity right there's a really cool saying that we have around here production is repetitive you know creation is personal and I think that plays into it. The single barrel, you're basically creating your own product when you pick a single barrel from a distillery, right? You're picking out of these barrels that are available and you're creating your product. Why not also create your label? Which I know has been a thing. People have been kind of printing up their own labels. This is going to be the first time it's coming from the distillery. I mean, so you right? guys are going to do it and it's not even going to be like taterific like what we all do in the bourbon clubs. No. Now it's going to be like a real, like a real artist is there with you. Is going to design this label with you. As Scott's over here stroking a bottle. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things. Like the, one of the things I love the most about Rabbit Hole is also one of the things that drives me a little bonkers is the fact that their bottles are consistent. Like they all have that square, you know, kind of woman curve to it at the in the midpoint, and it's got the rabbit on it. Like I, I have those same curves. 
<laughs> if a, wow. you're, cur- you're curved like a bourbon barrel, <laughs> just like me. But like, it's one of those things that like I, I love the way the bottle looks. It's it's pretty, it's sexy, that type of thing. But when, when I look at you know bourbon in general, like it, it doesn't match what you look at when you look at bourbon, right? So. I'm just kind of curious of, you know, was that a Heather thought? Was that a Cave thought? Was that just some, you know, what we like to call as the black magic of, uh, you know, the, the chief marketing officer or whatever. But I always just like to think what's going through somebody's mind through that process. Well, bourbon, <laughs> bourbon is going through their mind, definitely. But, you know, we've said some like buzzwords here, like transparency and innovation and creation. Those are all core values of Rabbit Hole. But one that we haven't said so far is collaboration, being a collective. Um, I just kind of mentioned we don't have a master distiller. It's because we all kind of act like master distillers here. We all have input. So everything from bottle design to barrel selection, that really comes from a collective sense here. Um, It's better to have everybody in on that final product than having one person running the show. Now, that being said, the family is really important here too, right? We're all a big family, but the Zamanian family inside of that, you know, there's only a few people that are allowed to really tap into a barrel here, and that is the family. So the family really has a big say on what that bottle is going to look like. And the design of this bottle all came from Cave. He wanted it to be able to jump off the shelf, but he also wanted to have this sort of sensual, beautiful look to it. And we were kind of talking about wine earlier, how we think about our bourbons from a culinary like a varietal standpoint look at these are almost like great wine bottles these are really amazing curves to them and they really highlight what's inside the bottle no i i agree 100 percent, and i love the fact that they took the time to order stuff that was unique to you guys i mean it's got the rabbit and kind of i guess engraved or etched or but it's not really it's i guess it's just offset the way that they press it into the glass but it's just very unique, and I, and I, I, I for some reason, I'm a, I'm a bottle geek in some aspects. So you want to see something that really is cool? I didn't actually notice this until uh, I was watching a review of our founder's collection, and somebody had gotten a bottle and did a review. I'm going to set these right next to each other. The sash keeps going from here to here. Huh. So let me let me be <laughs> honest. Cool? When, when I got the email for the founder's collection bottle and I found out I had, air quote, won, I was so excited that I just wanted to buy it anyway. But the bottle looks like it's a squashed, you know, standard 750 bottle. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, is that a 375? We had a lot of people ask that, yeah. And, and the, the email didn't say anything about it. And I'm like, man, did I just pay 200 bucks for <laughs> a, a squashed, for a, for a 375 milliliter bottle? I did it anyway. But No, it's a, it's a 750. It's just... <clears throat> It's fat. It, it's it's reminiscent of a, I guess, like a Knob Creek bottle, but it's got you know. Well, much I don't more know if we could have put this heavy cork on one of these bottles and yeah. might have broken it in half. So, yeah. <laughs> for for our listeners that may not uh, be familiar with their their founder's bottle, it's got a cork like the Wild Turkey Masters Keep. You know that heavy metal uh, cork, and it, it's and, just heavy. And the cork <laughs> itself is fat. I mean, yep. it's got some girth to it. I'm gonna pop that real quick, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely got some size and some weight to it. It's, it's a master's keep si- style uh, cork, so yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask a couple of questions here before we before we get off of here. What um, w- obviously we're here in the Louisville market, Southern Indiana area, and I know we have listeners that are from here to Texas to Spain to Australia to Germany everywhere. Where can you find Rabbit Hole? 
we are coast to coast. Um, we actually launched. We want to talk about amazing timing. We launched our national distribution in March, um, and so it was a little had a little hiccup there at the beginning, but um, we're doing very well right now. We are available in all fifty states, um, so you can find us from coast to coast. We're not international yet, but uh, we'll see what happens soon. So when is the the distillery going to be open for tours again? Man, that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Um, it's really less up to us and more up to the state. Yeah, and, and well, I mean, not the state. I mean, it's really up to something that isn't even humans. COVID, right? Um, it's it's really you know once we're able to kind of get in a place where we can safely offer tours. A big thing with hospitality here at Rabbit Hole is that we are very much about being best in class. Um, when you take a tour at Rabbit Hole, it is if for my in my opinion, we give the best tour on the trail because it's incredibly immersive. We answer all of your questions. You end up in this amazing bar. We have an incredible cocktail program that we set up here. The merch is amazing. The product is amazing. And we feel like we want to be able to offer that no matter what. And so with the mandates that we're going to follow, can we give that best-in-class experience right now? Not yet. Now, we're sitting here trying to figure out how we're going to do that. So maybe we will open, you know, before the end of the year i really doubt it um, but if we figure out a good way to still give an incredible tour here um, while following those guidelines we'll do it but until we're able to do that we're just not going to open we just don't want to put anybody at risk um, and we also want to make sure that we're giving that best in class yeah, it, it's just a shame because it's a really you. it's a really cool place um, we've been to several different ones and and i've been to tours everywhere but the the this is different than any place that I've seen. So it would definitely be something that anybody that's downtown Louisville that, that goes to Angels in Beer, Ofo, mm-hmm. or Peerless, or whatever, or Evan Williams, this is definitely a destination that they need to come to. Absolutely. It's, it's a beautiful facility. Um, it's, you know, kind of, it's, it's actually even a little hidden. I mean, it, it from the rest of them. Um, so I, I appreciate that fact. And, there's not as much traffic at this end of Nulu as there is in those downtown areas. So, you know, definitely come out and give us a, give them a visit. Um, last question for me, and if anybody else wants to throw anything in before, you know, we finish up here, different finishes. Have you talked to Cave? And are there any plans for, you know, a port finish or maybe finishing something, you know, with a, an actual toasted barrel after you've you know done it in a regular barrel is there honey finishes i mean you, you see all kinds of new things that are kind of out there that type of thing yeah what's the um, thought process there there is a lot that we have in the hopper right now that we're messing with um so this was only our first founders collection we've got another that is going to be coming in the spring and that is another finish as well it won't be boxer grail um it's going to be a much older bourbon actually it's coming from cave's personal stocks from the family stocks um really old bourbon that's going to be finished in um, another type of barrel. It's I, I don't want to give too too much information until until we're putting it out there, but um, it's a really rare oak barrel that we're going to be using. Um, but yeah, I mean I've seen you know some port barrels run around here, some Armagnac barrels run around here. Doesn't mean that's something that we're going to release. Maybe we're just messing around right now. Um, but we have a lot in the hopper that we'll see what's going to happen. You just said Armagnac. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. <laughs> I'll need to come over for that tasting. <laughs> so uh, for people that want to find Rabbit Hole, they want to find the distillery, do they want to find the tour, that type of thing? Obviously, you're not open right now, but hopefully it will be before Christmas or maybe New Year's, that type of time frame. Tell them 
how do we find you? How do we find Absolutely. Rabbit Hole, everything, all that stuff? So um, we're big on social media, of course, uh, you know, at Rabbit Hole. Um, our website is www.rabbitholedistillery.com. Something really cool that we're offering are these virtual experiences. That's really where my role came from. This digital brand ambassador is really spearheading the virtual experiences here. Um, those have been very, very popular uh, to the fact where I've actually had to get somebody else hired to take some of those off my plate because I don't have enough time in the day to do them all. Um, one really cool one that we're offering, if you're here in Louisville, you can actually buy the package from the distillery and come pick it up curbside. Um, it's where you buy four of the bourbons, so Cave Hill, High Gold, Boxer Grill, and Derringer, and it comes with a free virtual tasting that we'll schedule with you. We do it over Zoom. Really neat experience. Um, and then if you're not from Louisville, we actually offer that package through caskers.com. It's a three-bottle package, so it's Cave Hill, High Gold, and uh, Derringer, and you get the uh, virtual tasting with that as well um but hopefully you know we're going to be opening up soon for tours and and maybe at least getting this bar open overlook open um we'll see we'll see what happens address uh address is gosh what is our address 711 east jefferson street I believe. Okay, yeah. here in Louisville, in the Nulu District. Nulu. Mm-hmm. Why you got to hit him with the hard questions, Scott? <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't try to hit him with hard. I should know that. I want <laughs> people to be able to come to Rabbit Hole and and have the experience. I mean, that that's what all this is all about, right? We want we want people to know what's out here, what's going on, and and, and, and what they have available. So let me give one one parting comment here myself is that uh, I had tried Derringer a couple of years ago and I wasn't a fan, uh, but I came back today. And I'm going to tell you that uh, that Werther's original nose punch, as I'm going to call it today, it blew me away, and I quite enjoyed it. So I, I don't know if my palate changed or if it was a, a variation in a small batch, but I'm going to tell you I was impressed today by the Derringer, uh, and actually I liked the Cave Hill. I thought I was going to be a high gold fan because it was no wheat. I enjoyed the Cave Hill, and the rye just good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I 100% agree with what you came across that. Um, so if you're looking for that, you know, Adam explained it all. We're, we're here in Louisville and Nulu, 711 mm-hmm. um, East Jefferson Street. Um, if you want to reach us at Bourbon Barrel Talk, you can. You can find us at bourbonbarreltalk at gmail.com for email, um, www.bourbonbarreltalk.com. Um, the best way to get a hold of us is typically through Facebook or Instagram. We're pretty interactive there with our uh, listeners and, and team. The big, biggest and most important thing is hit the subscribe button. Whenever you get in there, you can kind of see that, and and uh, that way you make sure you're getting all of our content as it gets delivered. Um, Scott, Josh, Toby, and Adam, Rabbit Hole signing off. Peace. <laughs>